Section 15 of Coffee Break Collection Number 26 It's a Small World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Rita Boutros Coffee Break Collection Number 26 It's a Small World By Various Selection. Riga in the Chimney. How did Riga get into the chimney? Well, if the truth must be told, it was not merely a chimney, but the window, and not a window only, but the front door, and not only the front door, but the staircase. It was, in fact, so much of all four, that it was but slightly like any one of them. Things were altogether upside down in this house, Instead of being built on the ground like all reasonable houses, it was under it, and although it had but one place to come in at, and but one fire to cook at, so many people lived inside of it in tents of their own, that it was in reality a village. And yet again, it was a village where you had only to lift the skin wall of your one-room dwelling to get into your neighbors. The land was Kamchatka, and Riga was a small boy of that cold country. He had been outside to get some milk from the deer, and had come to the hole that formed the entrance, and taken the first step down on the notched pole that was to land him in the fire if he didn't take a good leap over when he got to the bottom. It was already dark. Above him one of the dogs, there were twenty or thirty in all, got a smell of the milk, or a smell of the pot on the fire, and as he sniffed greedily through chimney, we might as well call it that, he lost his balance and came tumbling head and heels over Riga with a prodigious racket and howling into the village below. Riga, who was fat, thought he was going too, but he clung to the notched pole till he had his senses again, and then he clung the tighter because of something else. At the foot of the pole burned a fire of moss which gave much heat, little light, and more smoke than anything else. This smoke hung duskily around the chimney and went out lazily as it happened to feel inclined. Riga's entrance had been covered by the dog's fall. The smoke and dust hid him effectually, and something stopped him from coming down. It was a little whisper which, although addressed to a person close by the whisperer's side, scaled the pole for the benefit of Riga's curious ears. Hush! Someone came in. You are mistaken, for no one comes down. Someone is listening, then. Lapka, you suspect everything. Who would stop up there and why? And who would know there was anything to listen to? Riga was listening, however, and although his position was most uncomfortable, his curiosity was so excited by hearing a conversation which was not intended for anyone to hear, that he bent his ears more eagerly than ever, and was as silent as a snowflake. "'When can it be done?' whispered Lapka shrilly. "'When all are asleep. We may be asleep, too. Trust me for that.' Can we get out without rousing the sleepers? Do you think the herd will be quiet? We have no one to fear but the curious Riga. That boy always has one ear open. That is so, thought Riga in the chimney, and now I see the wisdom of it. 
He gave a movement of satisfaction, and some of the milk splashed, hissing down into the fire. "'What is that, Svarovitch?' asked Lapka. "'I have often heard that sound in the fire,' was the reply, "'and my father says, if it is a saint's day, the saint weeps for some wrong done.' At this moment the thick pungent smoke tickled Riga's nose, and he gave vent to three good hearty sneezes. The two boys below jumped to their feet and ran away. "'There is still more, and it may be learned by listening,' murmured Riga as he went down. "'I am not a saint, but I will do more than weep if any wrong is about to be done.' It was the winter time. The cold was intense. If you should put your uncovered face out of doors, the eyelashes would freeze to your cheeks. The weather was so fierce, the clouds so threatening, that but few of the men had ventured out. Such as had, rode up swiftly on their sledges at nightfall, set the deer free among the herd, and gathered round the fire to sleep, or talk over the adventures of the day. Among other things, this bitterest night of all, they returned to the conversation of several preceding nights about two Englishmen with their guide, belated by the snows of an early winter. These travelers had pressed on towards a port on the coast, thinking to winter there comfortably until some ship would sail for San Francisco. But reports had now reached the tribe of a fatal accident to one of the reindeer and wise Lodovin shook his head. He was seventy years old and knew everything. There was a spot, he said, near the Kamchatkan shore, a hut underground constructed from a wrecked vessel by some sailors. All guides know of this place. There was fuel there, and they would not freeze, but they could have had no provisions worth speaking of, and either they must die of starvation or go on and perish in the coming storm upon the tundra. This had been repeated each night since Lodovin had heard of the dead deer, but his listeners were willing to receive an observation many times for want of fresher. Usually Riga sat long in the midst of the circle, but tonight he withdrew early to his particular home, a small enclosure a few feet square, where the whole family slept, lighted by a bit of moss floating in oil. He had seen Lapka enter the next room, and the fear of missing him brought him early to lie on his own floor, where he could peep beneath the edge of the skin. Later, when everything was quiet, the same anxiety made him crawl out and take up his old place on the notched pole, where he clung silent and immovable, but listening and looking intently, every sense merged into his sense of curiosity. Ah, woe to Riga in the chimney! Two quiet figures suddenly came straight to the pole, and one began to mount. To mount? Yes, and seeing Riga, to seize him by the foot and sternly bid him be silent and go out. In spite of his sturdy saintship, the surprised Riga was frightened to death by the knife in Savarovitch's hand, and not daring to disobey, he tremblingly did as he was told. He was speedily followed by Lapka and Savarovitch. Holding him well and forcing him to assist them, the youths fastened to a sled three of the best and fleetest deer of the herd, which Riga very well knew did not belong to them. That done, they paid no attention to his entreaties, but taking him with them in the sled, 
The long, steady pace of the deer soon left their home behind them. Riga now began to cry and beg them to spare his life. "'You are going to cut my throat and bury me in the tundra,' he said. "'You had better not, or I will do you some harm as soon as I am a saint.' Svorovich burst into a loud laugh. "'Cut your throat,' he said. "'Child, the tempest and the cold may kill you, but we shan't. "'No, you might be safe this minute if we could have trusted you to go back and be quiet. "'But we know you would have waked the whole tribe to ask questions of what we were about, and they would have followed us.' From what Lobka and Svorovich spoke of after this, Riga learned they were bound on a journey to some distant point and were racing to reach it against the storm. Further than that he learned nothing, for he was too sleepy now to be inquisitive, and carefully sheltered by his companions he soon lost all consciousness of even his own fat little person. "'An arctic winter storm on the great tundra? Do you know what that means?' Fancy three of the worst snowstorms that ever you have seen taking place at one and the same time, the fierce, icy, bitter wind roaring and sweeping with terrible force across an endless plain, the air blinding, sight impossible, and you will know why Lapka and Svorovich and even Riga gazed often and anxiously at the clouds throughout the following day with eyes and ears always on the alert and well on the alert at that our little saint thought he heard now and then strange sounds of great distant winds nearing them and at last he began to discover as he peered upwards the thick look in the air that tells that snow is on the way the wind is rising said riga you ought to take me home but though he wished to cry he kept his tears back bravely suddenly he cried out the storm! And it was the storm, the great arctic storm, coming all at once, blinding and thick, borne on the wind, and sweeping over the ground, as if it never meant to stop or rest there. We can go no further, cried Savorovich. We too shall be lost. Don't despair, little brother, said Lapka, but at the same time turning away his face. Here the alert little Riga lifted his fat face to tell them that he had for some time heard the ocean, and that just as the snow appeared he had seen a volcano in the ground, perhaps from these signs they could tell where they were. The roaring of the tempest was so terrible that it was now impossible to distinguish the sound of the waves but when riga was questioned as to his volcano and could only answer that he had seen smoke coming directly from the ground in a certain direction savorovitch exclaimed aloud and springing out of the sledge ran a few feet from them following the sound of his voice riga and lapka found him on his knees with his head bent above a black pipe setting a little above the earth they are here he cried it is the place they answer me. In a few moments the figure of a man appeared in the storm, seized upon them, and leading them a few steps further, descended by a slanting passage into a snug little underground cabin, free of smoke and passably light, where the boys found themselves face to face with the two English travellers. Their mutual explanations, though given with some difficulty, showed how the guide had stolen off with the remaining deer, and left them to their fate, and that that morning they had eaten the last of their provisions.
and how the adventurous Lapka and Svorovich, pitying their condition, had determined to set out and save them at any risk. Riga comprehended what was not explained to the Englishmen, that it was undertaken in secret, for neither of the boys yet owned deer of their own, and had no hope of being successful in borrowing such as they needed. After all, he had not guessed rightly in the chimney, and he felt that there is something more to know of people than what one finds out by eavesdropping. Things half heard often look wrong. When the whole is seen, they may turn out nobly right. The gratitude of the travellers to the brave young Kamchatkins was great, and although the food they had brought was only dried fish and some fat of the whale, it was the best they had, and a heartier and happier supper was seldom eaten. The storm continued throughout that night, but clearing off the next morning, the party was able to start on their return journey to the village. The deer, who know their masters, and will seldom desert the place where they are, were ready to return, and carried them back at a pace which, although not as fleet as that of a horse, was more unflagging and reliable. Welcome from all parties greeted their arrival. No harsh words met them. The parents were only too glad to have their brave boys safe again, the owners of the deer too happy that their property was restored unhurt. Only the wise Lodovin shook his head. "'If the boys begin like that,' said he, "'what do you suppose the men will do? "'Take care how you praise those who respect no man's property.' For Lodovin owned one of the deer which the boys had borrowed. As for fat little Riga, he had gained so much glory. You must remember it was he who had discovered the smoke-pipe by hanging in the chimney that it became his favorite position to the everlasting danger of the limbs of the tribe and his own head and also to the great confusion of such unwary beings as weakly told secrets about the village fire end of section fifteen end of coffee break collection number twenty six it's a small world by various